Biden asked Congress for $33 billion in Ukraine aid. So the funding includes military assistance, but also money to alleviate food shortages and to keep the Ukrainian government afloat. So let's get right into the story. President Joe Biden has asked Congress for another $33 billion in assistance for Ukraine, including more than $20 billion in military aid. We need this bill to support Ukraine in its fight for freedom, Biden said during remarks Thursday from the White House. The cost of this fight is not cheap, but caving to aggression is going to be more costly if we allow it to happen. Now, here's the thing, right? For those that end up maybe stumbling upon this, it's just very odd to see the United States funding Ukraine while trying to not be necessarily aggressive towards Russia, but in a sense, basically fighting against Russia, you know, in quotes, right? He's kind of like on the down low, like, oh yeah, you know, we're fighting against you, but kind of not really, like, you know, we're kind of like slapping you on the behind, not necessarily on the face, right? While at the same time, working on deals with Russia, Right? So it's just, it's a really weird dance. So Congress previously appropriated $13.6 billion for Ukraine on March 15th. So almost half of the new funding, $16.4 billion, would flow to the Defense Department, much of it for additional weapons. This includes $6 billion for the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, which provides weapons and equipment directly to Ukraine. Another $5.4 billion would pay to replenish Defense Department stocks that the White House has already sent to Ukraine, including more than 1,400 Stinger and aircraft missiles, over 5,500 Javelin and anti-armor missiles, 700 Switchblade drones, 90 155mm howitzers, 200 M113 armored personnel carriers, and more than 50 million rounds of ammunition. By the way, I think the M113 used to be like a Call of Duty weapon back in the day. So the aid package also asked Congress to increase Biden's presidential drawdown authority, which allows the president to directly send U.S. stocks to Ukraine by an additional $5 billion. The Biden administration has largely used up the $3 billion in drawdown authority previously authorized by Congress. The Biden administration has already sent $3.4 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since the start of the war. Let's see. The request also would provide $2.6 billion to pay for the deployment of additional U.S. troops to the region and $1.9 billion of cybersecurity and intelligence support, including weapon system upgrades and unspecified classified programs. We are providing Ukraine significant timely intelligence to help them defend themselves against the Russian onslaught, Biden said. Now, here's the thing, okay? Doesn't this statement right here, like, this sentence, right, basically admit that we are going to war with Russia. The request also would provide $2.6 billion to pay for the deployment of additional U.S. troops to the region. 
okay, where we are going to what? Provide cybersecurity, intelligence support, including weapon systems upgrades, right? We are basically going to war without going to war. It's like, oh, we have the gun in our hand pointing at you. We're kind of slightly pulling down the trigger, but not really, right? We're not fully, like, engaging it yet. It's like, this is getting to a very dangerous point that the United States is going to get completely involved and probably just end up fighting Russia, which would be crazy, right? Now, I'm not saying that will happen, but it's, it's pretty much getting to that point. It's like, how many lines are you going to cross before it just goes to being like a full-out war between Russia and the U.S. now? Because right now, we're basically fighting Russia in proxy by using Ukraine. It's non-military aid. Much of the remainder of $14.1 billion would go to the State Department and U.S. Agency for International Development for Economic Aid to Ukraine and neighboring allies, including Poland, Lithuania, and Baltic countries. The largest chunk, $7.5 billion, would provide direct support for the government of Ukraine so that critical government functions can continue. Another $4 billion would go toward foreign military financing to assist Ukraine in paying for the weapons it wants to buy itself. Biden also proposes $1.6 billion in human t- and humanitarian aid and food assistance for people around the world facing food shortages without Ukrainian exports. And Ukraine is a major producer of wheat and corn. And this is also is one of the reasons why at the grocery store, your food is going to keep on increasing in price. One of the reasons. To help ease the economic disruption in the U.S. caused by the conflict in Ukraine, the White House proposes using $500 million to increase domestic food production. This will help alleviate rising food prices in the United States, but instead, but really, it's not going to do really anything. The proposal includes $1.2 billion for the Department of Health and Human Services to provide assistance to Ukrainians entering the U.S. through the Uniting for Ukraine program. No delays, no excuses. In his letter to Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Biden suggests that Congress fold $22.5 billion in previously requested COVID-19 funding into the legislative package. To avoid needless deaths in the United States and around the world, I urge the Congress to include this much-needed life-saving COVID funding as part of this supplemental funding request. Like, what? Uh, the White House's pandemic aid request has been whittled down in talks on Capitol Hill to just $10 billion, and even that summer amount has been held up amid a dispute over Biden's move to end the Trump-era Title 42 immigration policy, barring injury to migrants on public health grounds. And Senate Democrats are considering combining the, U- the new Ukraine aid with the stalled COVID-19 package to try to increase pressure on Republicans to relent. Senator Patty Murray who chairs both the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee in Labor Education Appropriation Panel, said Thursday that lawmakers absolutely should merge the two funding proposals. Look, see, this is the problem that you got to see with a lot of this stuff, right? They really technically want the COVID-19 funding to 
go into effect, right? But they know that there's not going to be enough Republicans to really pass it, right? So they are going to bring in supporting Ukraine and also COVID, okay? Even though they have nothing together in terms of like there's no point in combining the two, right? And this is the problem that I see with a lot of uh, legislation, right? Like if Congress simply voted on very specific things each and every time, there would be so many things that the majority of the population would actually benefit from in a sense, right? Or agree on at the very least, right? When you combine two different requests that have nothing to do with one another, you are going to have people that completely disagree with it, and then you're going to paint people in a really bad light because they just don't agree with it because you're adding a whole bunch of random stuff that has nothing to do with it, right? It's kind of like saying like, hey, this is funding for us to buy oranges, right? And then you're like, oh, this is funding for us to buy brand new cars. We are going to combine the funding requests for both oranges and cars, but you have to agree on both of them combined, right? So if you deny it, if you don't like one of them, like, oh, I don't really want to agree to funding oranges, well, now you're also saying, no, I don't want to fund for brand new cars, right? Or vice versa. Like, it's such a pain in the butt way to go about and doing it, right? Just be open, honest, very transparent, and be like, hey, we're going to vote on this, then we're going to vote on this, then we're going to vote on this, one by one by one. But no, they're not going to do that. Like, it's so stupid. Elizabeth Warren said Thursday that she expects a vote next week on a combined package. And again, like, combining packages is so stupid. This is where you get, like, a lot of the COVID relief bills, a lot of those bills that we printed, like, trillions of dollars, and all that money basically disappeared, and no one really knows where it went, okay? And people only got 1200 bucks to them. It's like, hey... If they split that whole thing up into multiple different segments that people actually read and voted on, things would be uh, way more healthy for the country. So far, the GOP hasn't budged, arguing that Ukraine aid should move separately to avoid getting bogged down in the pandemic funding fight. We can't play politics with this. We need to get it done. Ohio GOP Rob Portman, a co-chair of the Senate Ukraine Caucus, said Thursday. Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer didn't explicitly endorse the combination strategy in floor remarks Thursday, but he called on Republicans to drop their objections. Republicans should work with Democrats to pass another COVID funding bill ASAP. No political games, no poison pills, no, no dithering about, Schumer said. In short, we must get both Ukrainian emergency relief and COVID funding relief done quickly. But again... The one has nothing to do with the other, right? It makes no sense to do something like this, right? Like This is the thing. You know that there is going to be so many people against one of these 
fundings, right? So you are going to try to combine it with something that everyone technically cares about, right? So like, it's just such a dirty game to play. In his remarks Thursday, Biden said the most important thing was approving the aid in a timely way. I don't care how they do it, he said. They can do it separately or together, but we need them both. Biden urged bipartisan uh, cooperation and passing funding for both Ukraine and COVID-19. Let's get both of these critical tasks done. No delays, no excuses, he said. Just action now, now. Biden also noted that he'll be traveling to Alabama next week to visit the Lockheed Martin factory where Javelin missiles are manufactured. And on Wednesday, Russia cut off gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria, two NATO allies, in response to Western sanctions designed to weaken Russia's economy, and the U.S. has already stopped purchasing gas and oil from Russia. We will not let Russia intimidate or blackmail their way out of these sanctions, Biden said. We will not allow them to use their oil and gas to avoid consequences for their aggression. While at the same time, we are working on deals with the help of Russia. Keep that in mind. The U.S. is working with Korea, Japan, and Qatar to help relieve the energy crunch felt by countries that rely on Russian exports, he said. And here's the thing, right? If the U.S. truly, truly did care about making the U.S. more independent, making all the Western countries more independent, they would actually approve companies in the U.S. to actually drill for oil in the U.S. But they're not going to do that. There's permits out there, but they're not actually going to get approved by the government. Like, it's just crazy when you really think about it. Feel free to give your thoughts. It's just like, it's so weird to see something like this, like combining two different packages that have nothing to do with one another just so that they could try to make one party look better than the other or worse or whatever, or trying to, it's just like, I just really don't like how they try to, like, make things shady, instead of just being like, hey, we are going to vote on this, then we are going to vote on this, then we're going to vote on this, in terms of priority. The priority is probably Ukraine, so make that the obvious one to vote on right off the bat. Then, decide whether or not you're going to fund covid then decide what you're going to do in terms of like student loans and all that kind of stuff. There's no point in combining a whole bunch of things because no one ends up knowing where any of this stuff ends up actually going in terms of like the money. If you want to learn how to get a debt and master your money, go to 40 And again, feel free to give your thoughts as to this plan. Do you like the combination of these two different funding requests or not? Personally, I don't like this, right? It's kind of like the same. I I view it the same way as this, right? Taxes would be simple for everyone involved if they simply put like, okay, we are going to vote that every single person that makes money, that makes an income, pays like a 10% flat tax with no loopholes. And that's all on one piece of paper. Let's vote on it, right? It's like... It keeps it very simple. Everyone knows what they're going to pay in taxes. There's no guesswork. There's not going to be any threats of you potentially going to jail for not paying the correct amount of taxes. You're not going to pay a bunch of fees, all that sort of stuff, right? But no, they can never make things simple. 
An angry Netflix employee or employees take to Twitter after getting laid off from streaming giant. So angry Netflix employees took to Twitter Thursday after learning they had been laid off at the streaming giant, home to his shows like Inventing Anna, Squid Game, and Bridgerton. By the way, Mr. Beast's Squid Game was absolutely amazing and got more views than Squid Game itself. So although the exact number of layoffs could not be immediately learned, many of the employees were writers or editors working for Netflix's Tudum division, which was launched in December. Have no clue what the hell is a Tudum. Well, I just was laid off from a significant contract originally intended through August, so I'm looking for stable work and rent. I need rent, wrote one employee. Uh-oh, looks like I have to do this tweet again. Is anyone hiring? Netflix just laid off my team, my job included. It was an incredible few months, and I'm grateful for it, but I'm stoked about whatever's next. Email is in bio. Another tweeted. The layoffs came from the Tudum division and included a mix of staff and contractors, according to a source with knowledge. One insider told the Post that more layoffs could be on the way and that non-core projects like Q, whatever that is, a magazine-like publication about Netflix projects could be next on the chopping block. Wait, Netflix had a magazine-like publication? Well, that's interesting. A company spokeswoman declined to comment on the situation but added our fan website, Tudum, is an important priority for the company. Just got laid off from Netflix Tutum. Effective today. Email with email me with opportunities at rainallsultan at gmail.com so I can pay my rent and help my parents survive. A bunch of my incredible colleagues got laid off too. You'd be incredibly lucky to work with any of them. One thing's for sure that I do like is to see someone where they're very supportive of their colleagues, right? But I, just, I like this statement, like this these two sentences, I think that's like a pretty cool thing to see, right? A bunch of my incredible colleagues got laid off too. You'd be incredible lucky to work with any of them. Like, that's like a good, like, working relationship with other employees, or other workers, I should say. Tudum, which is a nod to the sound that accompanies the Netflix logo when subscribers open the streaming site, was a division that focused on news and stories related to the service's most popular shows and movies. Roughly 10 to 15 employees put out virtual help wanted signs on Twitter after getting their pink slips. Just got laid off from Netflix and Tudum effective today. Let's see, Maria Christina Sherman. Hire Alex. Hire Josh. The drumbeat of departures come after Netflix posted its first subscriber loss since 2011. Last week, Netflix said in the first quarter it lost 200,000 subscribers and that it expects to lose 2 million more in the second quarter. In order to stem the bleeding, Netflix co-CEOs Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos said the company would likely crack down on password sharing, which is beyond a very stupid thing to do. Our relatively high household penetration when including the large number of household sharing accounts combined with competition is creating revenue growth headwinds, the men said in their, ne- in their letter to Netflix shareholders. 
So it's like another way to really think about it, right? You don't see an issue with Disney Plus. You don't see an issue with Amazon Prime. You don't see an issue with HBO, whatever that is, or Hulu, whatever that is, right? Or even another example that subscriptions work and that people could probably just share their passwords as well. We talked about a 19-year-old girl that did OnlyFans, and her first year of doing OnlyFans, a subscription paid like adult content service, made $50 million, and she provided proof that she made $50 million, and yet you're telling everyone, like, oh, yes, let's blame the potential customers that, uh, yeah, it's their fault. What? Does that make any sense? It means that you are not providing something that your customers actually want. It's that simple. Right. So following the Toff earnings report, the Hollywood Reporter released a blistering expose on the power clash inside the Los Gatos, California-based company, which included unnamed Hollywood heavy hitters weighing in on the pro- prolificate spending at the company and its lack of quality control when it comes to pumping out content. So what I've heard and read of like other stories about like how Netflix ends up getting content. They basically have like a blank check. It's like, oh yeah, if they find something, they're just going to pay disgusting amounts of money for it, right? Like, oh, if you somehow manage to like make some sort of documentary about whatever topic and someone just happens to like like the concept of it or like it, they're like, oh yeah, here's 5 million. Oh yeah, here's 2 million. Oh yeah, here's a million. Oh yeah, here's 20 million. Like It's just like a blank check for whatever kind of nonsense. So one creative who worked with Netflix said of the streamer's content strategy, I wonder if, say, a Bonobo throwing S at a whiteboard full of titles as a method of deciding what projects to make would have more or less success than all of these other deciders who think they know what people want or don't want. The funny thing is, right, if they even gave someone like, for example, a Mr. Beast, a Jimmy Donaldson, $100 million, $500 million, he could create disturbing amounts of viral content for Netflix, like exclusively for Netflix. Like it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what he could potentially do for that. But here's the thing, right? If they were to ever per like, offer a, like some sort of like deal with Netflix. Oh, I mean with uh Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast would definitely need like some sort of a percentage of the company because I have no clue what on earth are they going to do. I mean, they just have so much stuff on their platform. It's kind of like one of those situations where they became kind of like what cable used to be where potentially you're spending more than like an hour or 2 hours just trying to find something to watch, right? Instead of just clicking something to watch. Like, it's absolutely crazy when you really think about it. Let's see. Uh, Comments. Okay, yeah, some comments. 
It's the same old story, trying to please the woke non-subscribers and failing to pay attention to the taste of those actually paying for a subscription. Most wokies use someone who works password anyway. It's a private company, they can do what they want. Remember that, sorry kitties, that one worked against you this time. It's my private money, and I'm not giving it to them. And here's the thing, right? Like, If you don't like how Netflix is doing this stuff, you do not have to subscribe to them. That's great, and you deserve it. Go get BOM to give you a job, get Soros to fund you. You're the same crowd who wanted 250,000 police officers to lose their jobs and get prosecuted because a criminal dies when he was in the custody of one cop. You're the same people who destroyed other people's lives, crucified them before a fair trial. Good. Okay. Please tell me they kept Prince Harry and Meghan for their $100 million contract, which has proved so successful. Get the woke crowd you have been catering to to fund you. Go woke, go broke. That's it. Pendulum reached its apex. You didn't build that. When you make a people, uh, when you make a product, people want and will pay for the pay for. They will. Please include how woke you are on your resume and make sure to include all your pronouns. This information is very critical, so companies that are trying to stay in business know what they are getting into. <laughs> and someone put learn to code, dear lord. Okay. Feel free to give your thoughts on this, right? I find this very interesting. I think it's incredibly stupid for Netflix and their CEOs to blame their customers. Like, hey, don't blame your customers. How about you actually take some responsibility and be like, oh, yeah, we are just not promoting product that is good enough for it. Like, for example, right? If you stumble upon this, you might have seen the show called Ridiculousness with a very certain former pro skateboarder called Rob Deerdeck, who also was on a TV show called Robin Big. That individual, Rob Deerdeck, quite literally is pretty much all the content on MTV. Right? Because his show is very evergreen. His show is basically something like you can have it playing at any time of the day, of the month, of the year, while you're pooping, cooking, cleaning, all that kind of stuff. You don't even necessarily even have to be inside the same room of the TV that is actually playing the episode you could still find some sort of enjoyment because it's something that basically absorbs time, right? It absorbs your time. You know you could just click it and play it, right? Regardless of what you are doing, right? You could be trying to go to sleep and still technically have a show like Ridiculousness end up playing, right? And that's something to really think about, right? Netflix needs content kind of like that where you could literally just click it, click it, Click any episode, have it just autoplay, and it will just play forever and ever and ever and ever, and you're still going to just be like coming in and out and like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny. Oh yeah, that's pretty crazy. Oh yeah, whoa, they jumped over that. Oh, they crashed into a wall. They jumped off a house, whatever, right? It's like they really need content that is purely evergreen, that absorbs massive amount of time forever, right? They almost need like a mindless... TV, 
content, right? So, just my thoughts on it. Just never blame your customers, like, really. If you want to learn how to get a debt and master your money, go to 40inbox.com. Apparently, Snap, like a Snapchat, announces pocket-sized drone called Pixie, and you could purchase it today, apparently. So Snap released this Pixie drone on April 28th at its Snap Partner Summit. The pocket-sized drone can take off and land in the palm of your hand, and the drone is available for purchase today at the drone's website. Oh, by the way, funny enough, speaking of Snapchat, apparently people are like making like $50,000 like per month or something like that from Snapchat, I guess. Something like crazy like that. So developed for the less enthusiast market and regular users of Snapchat, Snap's Pixie drone looks to be made out of plastic and is de- designed to take off and land in your hand. The yellow body and enclosed orange propellers match the company's bright and flashy branding of other products Snap has created in the past. Snap doesn't want to call Pixie a drone, but if it walks, flies like one, and looks like one, it's a drone. Pixie doesn't have any controller. It actually barely has any way to control it. That's because the drone, cough, cough, I mean flying camera, flies itself and you only use Snap's Snapchat app to tell what to do. Details of the Pixie drone first leaked via an FCC filing in the morning before Snap had a launch event earlier in the day. In the FCC filing, you can see some early drone pictures during testing. Now that is an interesting looking uh, drone. But that is going to be so easy to break. I feel like I could just like blow it and it'll just break. Well, not blow it, like blow on it. Blow it kind of sounds weird. So Pixie Specs. Snap's Pixie comes with two cameras, one in the front designed to focus on you and the second on the ground. And the bottom facing camera is used to keep the drone stable and it detects the palm of your hand so it knows when to land. And the front facing camera shoots 2.7K video, so nothing to knock out our socks off, but it's better than HD. Interesting. Yeah, that thing's gonna so break. That is so gonna break. Come on. Come on, that's so gonna break. To fly the drone, you can choose several different modes, hover, reveal, follow, and then orbit. These modes do precisely what they sound like, and most drone pilots should be used to these by now. You set the mode on the dial on the top of the drone, and then you turn Pixie on, and it can fly to perform that mode for up to 60 seconds. Then Pixie returns to you for a soft palm landing. Snap says you can get up to 8 flights on a single battery charge, which are removable. However, according to the Wall Street Journal's Joanna Stern, she was only getting about 4. Luckily, more batteries are available to purchase. And wind will be a challenge with this drone. So yeah, Pixie will only support a level 2 wind resistance, meaning wind speeds above 7 miles per hour will begin to make using snaps, not a drone drone, <laughs> hard and maybe even unusable. And this is the crazy thing, right? Snaps, Pixies, for sale today, starting at $229.99. Look, no offense, there's a better drones out there. I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's better drones out there for probably roughly the same amount of money. Like, really. Like, yeah, I I really don't think this is, like, that great of a deal. I mean, if someone wants to try to go and buy that, go ahead and try to buy that. I just, I don't think it's worth their money, honestly. 
Like, I think this is something that if you were to buy it, it's going to break, like, immediately. Feel free to give your thoughts. If you want to get a debt and master your money, go to 40 James Gordon, or James Corden, however you pronounce it, is leaving the Late Late Show in 2023. The Brit has extended his contract for the CBS Late Night Series for one year and will depart ahead of summer 2023. Corden will have hosted the Late Late Show for eight and a half years by the time he departs a major achievement. It's been... It's a really hard decision to leave because I'm so immensely proud of the show. I'm thrilled to be extending for a year, according to a deadline. I always thought I'd do it for five years and then leave and then I stayed on. I've really been thinking about it for a long time, thinking whether there might be one more adventure. So Corden signed a contract to host The Late Late Show, which had been previously hosted by Ferguson in 2014 and premiered on March 23, 2015. The Gavin and Stacey co-creator was somewhat of a surprise choice, but he reinvigorated the 12.30 p.m. time slot on CBS and breathed new life into late night with viral segments such as Carpool Karaoke, Drop the Mic, Spill Your Guts, and Crosswalk Musical. In fact, Corden's Carpool Karaoke with Adele has been watched more than 250 million times on YouTube, and while his journey with One Direction has racked up 189 million views. The Late Late Show YouTube page itself has had nearly 10 billion views and has over 27 million subscribers, the second highest in late night. That's pretty crazy when you really think about it. Oh man, also... What is the type of ad revenue for 10 billion views? But also, another way to think about it too, there's a YouTuber, I think called SS Sniper Wolf, that has, I think, over 14 billion views, right? So, you got like a single person versus a whole team, massive company, corporation behind you, and they're beating you. That's also something interesting as well. So CBS chiefs, including President and CEO George Cheeks, CBS Entertainment President Kelly Call, Sev P, Sev P Programming, Tom Sherman, and Nick Bernstein, SVP Late Night Programming, West Coast, were keen to keep Corden and offered a variety of ideas, including a three-year extension, a two-year extension, and a rolling one-year deal before he made his decision. My bosses here at CBS have been incredibly supportive and extraordinarily patient with me while I made this decision, Corden added. Seven years ago, James Corden came to the U.S. and took television by storm. With huge creative and comedic swings that resonated in a big way with viewers on air and online. From Crosswalk the Musical to the legendary Carpool Karaoke and every unique comedy segment he introduced, James has truly reimagined many elements of the late night format. He has also been the consummate network showman, entertaining audiences from his nightly perch at Television City, as well as the Tony and Grammy stage to Cheeks. In my two years at CBS, I've had the privilege to see James' creative genius up close and experience his valuable partnership with CBS, both as a performer and a producer. We wish he could stay longer, but we are very proud he made CBS his American home and that this partnership will extend one more season on the Late Late Show. Wow. 
Let's see anything else interesting on this. Eh, no, nothing really else. No, okay, that's pretty much it. Feel free to give your thoughts. Do you like James Corden? Do you like the Late Late Show? If you want to get out of debt, go to 40inbox.com to master your money.